Austin. Come here. I'm going to go old school again. This kind of, I came here last night. Yeah, here till about 11 last night, doing some stuff. Drawing, it took me a while. I'm not an artiste. <laughs> yeah, Liam's better than I am. Uh, last week after I stepped back there, I thought, ain't nobody saw anything I put on there. <laughs> so I tried to make it a little bigger. But uh, I like to go old school. I, uh, I like to actually draw on the board a lot. And um, so we're going we're gonna to talk about some things. If you weren't here last week, I had a question asked. And we started a question and answer thing with what, what does happen when I die? And where, where do we go after that? What's the things that take place? And so I started that. So if you weren't here, we're going to get part two today. But I'm going to... Quickly fill in part one for you so you're up to speed as we go into part two. And it's, a, I, I think, a fabulous study of the Word of God on what goes on. So if you would, let's bow for a, a quick prayer for the, uh, the Word of God before we begin. I'll let you say a quiet prayer as you prepare and then we'll close out. Father, we just thank you for this day and all the blessings of life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And we thank you for allowing him to come to this earth and, and make everlasting life possible, Father. And we, we just praise you and we pray that the things that we're about to hear, we're about to study from your holy and divine word, that you will open up our hearts and our minds and our understanding so that we can see it and know it. And be edified and strengthened by it, Lord. Help it to strengthen our faith in who you are and the promise that we have that you give to us. And you gave us your Son as proof and your Holy Spirit within those who love you as a guarantee of what you're going to do for us. And Father, we just pray for wisdom and understanding and most of all, for you to be glorified through the study of your word. And we ask all of this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Oh. All right. Last week, we began with this question, exploring the answer to what does happen to us. And we began by learning that we as human beings are very special people. We're not like anything else. We're, we're unique and we're special because we are of two realms. We're part earthly realm and part heavenly realm because... In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, and he spoke that into existence, and, and all of the things began to grow on the days of creation as he did that, one of the things that it says in Genesis chapter 2, in verse 6, was that the earth, at this time, there was no rain, so it was watered by the mist that came up from under the ground, so the surface of the ground was moist from that. And then it says that the Lord God, when he got ready to prepare man, his, his most unique and special creature that the Lord went down and took from that dirt and dust of the ground and he formed all of that into a body and a shell but as such there was not life yet. Life was not there. I'm getting hung on something. There we go. Life was not there yet. 
And then it says that he breathed into that shell of a body, into the nostrils, the breath of life. And it was at that point that mankind became a living soul. And then after that, after the fall, death and dying became in. And it's all the fault of the decision that was made and the fact that Satan had, had done that. So God, in order to redeem mankind from that and from the curse sent us his son and he gave a promise right there he said to satan the serpent who had beguiled and lied to the woman and he said because you have done this there is going to come from the seed of woman someone who is going to crush your head and that is the promise of our savior and messiah the one who saves us from that curse but two realms we are dust but life comes from God, which is from heaven. It's from a spiritual realm. So who we are is made up of two complete realms that are totally different. And then the question comes after that, what happens then at death? What happens to us? Well, I explained what happened in creation so that we can know what happens because it's the opposite that takes place. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, and in verses 6 and 7, it says that whenever we pass on, that the spirit goes back to God who gave it, and the body goes back to the dust of the ground. So it's actually just the reverse idea of it, that this body will return to this earth from which it came, but the real you that was breathed into the nostrils as a breath of life is from God. The real you is a spiritual being and it will never die. And it says that there is that separation. What was united at birth separates at death and goes into reverse and it goes back to God who gave it. And then we say, okay, what happens after that? What happens when that spirit of who I really am, this consciousness, this knowing of, of ideology where does it go when it goes back to God? Where, do, where does it depart to? And so then we went to uh, Luke chapter 16, to the rich man and Lazarus. And there, in Luke chapter 16, what we saw was a true story. Jesus, when he teaches a parable, he would say, now here's the parable of the sower, here's the parable of the wheats and the tares. But he didn't say that this is a parable. And in any of the parables... There was no names mentioned. It was always generic. But in this one, there was an actual name. He didn't give the name of the one who went into the Hadean realm, but he gave the one that went into Abraham's bosom, who was the saved one of the two in this uh, unique situation that Jesus is describing. And his name was Lazarus. And we found out that Lazarus was a poor man and that he was a beggar. And that he was sick and that he was covered with sores all over his body. It was, the word is for ulcerations that is, that is open and leaking. And it says in both cases that Lazarus died and that his soul was carried by the angels. Can you believe that? His soul was grabbed at that moment as it separated and carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. And then it said that the rich man also he was buried, and when he opened up his eyes, being in torments, he saw afar off over the way 
Abraham's bosom and he saw Abraham and Lazarus in there. And so that's where, where we were last week and we're pretty much caught up that here is the world, the earth. And inside of the earth, God has described for us that there is some, some places of holding at the time of Jesus when he was, was speaking this in Luke 16. In green, for go, I put Abraham's bosom. That's where Lazarus was. In red, you see that there's two different ones. There's torments I put in the center there. That is where the rich man went. And it was such a bad place that it says, as he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, as he looked across that chasm. And he said, I see Lazarus with you. Would you send Lazarus that he... I am so tormented within this flame. Would you send him that he might dip his finger in some water and touch it to my tongue that it may be cooled in this flame and this pain that I'm in? And Father Abraham said unto him, Child, my son, he said, Don't you know that while you were alive, you had all of the good things of life and Lazarus, he had the evil things. But now he is being comforted because he was a believer in God. And his son. And you. You didn't make that decision. You chose to live out your life with the good things. And enjoy those instead of enjoying life with us. And so now you are separated. And those that would come to you from here cannot go. Neither can you cross over to us it says. Because there is a great chasm fixed between us. So that neither one can pass. In other words. At that moment when you get separated from this body and death and the souls go out. The decision that you made in this life either to be with Jesus or not in this life. Is whether you're going to be with Jesus or not in the next life. And it is fixed upon that point And you cannot go back and forth. It is set. So that's, that's where we're at right now. This was at the time of Jesus. This was before, while he was teaching and before his crucifixion, his death, burial, and resurrection to life. This is what it was. And you say, hmm, but I see a third column here in red, yeah? Because there's a place called the pit or the abyss in the word of God. And that place is also where some of the demons are being held who were who are evil and disobey God. In, as you know in, in Ephesians chapter 6. It says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. But against principalities and powers of the darkness and of this world. You know there's rank and file demonic forces underneath the devil. That is trying to keep you and I from having a happy life. And from going to Abraham's bosom or to paradise. They are there. But some of those, they, when in Job, there was a meeting in heaven of these angelic beings. And it says that the devil also was there. And he asked the devil, where are you? Where have you been? And he said, I have been wandering to and fro and up and down in the earth. You know why? He was proud of that. Because in the fall, he became the owner of this. It says he is the prince of the air and the power of this world right now until Christ comes to take it back. So they are active in this world trying to keep us from having the hope of eternal life. 
But when one of those demons do things that is totally evil and out of line and out of character from the guidelines that God has given to them, they get cast into this pit. It's the abyss. And if you go through Revelation, it'll talk about the abyss to where these things that look like locusts is going to be released from. There's going to be from the abyss where these creatures that look like frogs come out of and, and the, the three, the triumphant that, that come out to try to wage war against us. So right now, there is a pit that Jesus has the keys to all of these places. He said in chapter 1, I have the keys to Hades. I have the keys to life and I have the keys to death. And I am the one that opens or closes the door that no one else can open or close. So to, to prove to the, you though that this place here is occupied right now by those demonic forces. See maybe I'm getting ahead of myself. Because I hadn't even been looking at this. Okay. Acts chapter 2, I better stick with some of this because we're going to get into slides here. Okay. Acts chapter 2 in the New Testament age. Here's where we are. We got um, the Apostle Peter. He's going to be quoting some things from, from the book of the Psalms. And here in this compartment that people are being held in, it says that there's a great gulf fixed between us and it says that there's a prison on this side. And here's some scriptures that we're going to go with. Uh, give me Jude, Jude verse 6 first, Miss T. I'm sorry, I got out of order here. Yes, that one. Here's a couple of scriptures to help us to wrap our heads around those who are in this pit right here. In Jude chapter 6, what happened was, was in the days of Noah, all, we, we think it was all about the flood. That's what we've been taught in Sunday school and about animals going two by two. But there was something despicable and evil that really happened because the demonic side when when the when God told the man and the woman and the serpent that what their curse was and that there was going to be from the seed of woman one who would come and crush the head of the serpent the devil went out from that point and said how do I stop that from happening how do I stop the seed of the woman from coming and crushing my head and what he did was, was he was going to try to wipe out the genealogy that would lead to Christ. So whenever you read Genesis chapter 6 this week, and you go back and look down through there, it'll talk about how Abraham was perfect in his generations. But the rest of the world was corrupted within their generations because these angelic beings left their habitation. And we got three scriptures in the New Testament that tells that. That they said the way that we're going to stop the lineage of Christ is we're going to come and we're going to infiltrate the gene pool of human beings. And they took, it says in Genesis chapter 6, wives unto these. It says they were the sons of God. That's created beings. They looked upon the daughters of men and saw that they were fair. And they took unto them wives, all of whom that they would chose. And they bore beings unto them. Nephilim. Fallen ones, the half beings. See, this is what's really going on. It's the spiritual battle that's underneath of life and death between the real realm out there. And that happened. And so in Jude 6, we have this. Chapter 1, verse 6, it says that the angels who did not keep their first estate out there where God told them to stay, but they left 
their own habitation. And remember that word for later on, left their habitation. They removed from their habitation and they took on another uh, body. God has reserved for them in everlasting chains under darkness unto judgment of that great day. That's where they're at. Then you go to 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4 and it says, If God did not spare the angels who what? Sinned. What's sin? It's to be disobedient to the word of God. God had told them you do not do this. And they did it anyway trying to stop themselves from going to that lake of fire that they was created for for rebelling against God. And so they said, we're going to do it anyway. We're going to leave our habitation. We're going to go down there and try to stop the genetic line to Christ. And it says that if God then does not spare the angels who sin, but he casts them down into hell, into the Hadean world, and delivered them unto chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. Well, when did that happen? I said it was during Noah's time, right? During the flood. Well... That's why we got the third verse here to confirm it. There's three verses. You only find it in the New Testament, not the Old Testament. All the way from Genesis to now, you didn't get the truth of what happened. But then it says this in 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 18. It's going to tell us when all of this occurred and when they got cast into this pit. It says, Christ also had to come to this world and suffer once for our sins. He was the just who was given for the unjust that he might be able to bring you and I to God. He was put to death in his flesh, in this body, but he was made alive after that in the spirit. By whom? By this spirit of God who took him upon that resurrection. It took him and he went and preached unto what? The spirits in prison. He went right here and preached to them upon the uh, the first thing he did that three days between the cross and the resurrection. The first thing he did because this was so despicable. This was so evil and vile and caused such anger and enmity with the Lord for having to destroy his creation because of what this, the demons were trying to do in stopping that genetic line. This has been a focal point all the way to the cross throughout those thousands of years. And when Jesus won the victory over death for us, the first thing that he did was went to those who brought all of this pain and all of this suffering and all of this destruction. And he went into that pit and proclaimed unto them victory in Jesus. I came, you didn't stop my lineage, you didn't stop me from going to the cross and dying and bringing the, the unjust into justification through my blood. And he went there and he preached unto those angels. And it says he, he went into the spirits in prison. When? Who were formerly disobedient. We talked about that a minute ago. The angels who sinned, they were disobedient to God. But when was it? It was when the divine long-suffering of God waited. When? In the days of Noah. When the long-suffering of God waited, that is when few eight souls were saved by water. 
And that's the like figure now of why baptism doth now also save us. It's not a washing away of the filth of the flesh, but it's the answer of a good conscience towards God. You are saying, I believe in your work. I trust that Christ won that victory. And the way he was in his death, burial, and resurrection, I am when I believe and I do that. I am imitating in that water the death I'm dying to self, the burial into it, and leaving that old man there and arising into a new life. That's what it represents, and that's why he asked us to do it. You are telling the world, I believe, and I am now dead, buried, and resurrected, a new creature in Christ Jesus today. And the battle was so intense, the first place he went was to that pit of hell. So now, let's see what happens here. Look at... With me at um, Luke chapter 23, about verse 40. We get to this point, and Jesus is on the cross. Now we're getting to all of our new stuff here, and, and Jesus is on the cross with those two thieves. And it says there that one of the thieves began railing upon Jesus and, and saying, if, you know, the people were saying, if you're the Son of God, come down off of there. Let's see a miracle wagging their tongues and their heads at him the thief on the cross started to do that and then the other one said son are you crazy we're here justly but if this man is who he says he is and he's the son of god you oughtn't to be talking to him like that and then that other thief looked at him the one who had just rebuked the one who was wagging his head at him and he said lord remember me when you come into your kingdom and what did the Lord say to him? That's right. Today you will be with me in paradise. So what's happening here? Let me show you what's happening. We said that this was what was going on up to the point of Jesus, right? The crucifixion. He taught Abraham's bosom and torments with the rich man and Lazarus. But upon that cross, when he told that one thief that today you're going to be with me in paradise, guess what happened? From all of the other scriptures we just read about him going and preaching, when Jesus gives up the ghost there, he said, assuredly, I like that, our Lord said, assuredly, today you will be with me in paradise. They went down. First thing he did was made a stop here to preach what we just learned to proclaim his victory. He is, his death proclaimed that he made it all the way through, that you didn't stop the lineage. He goes through over into Abraham's bosom. He's going to stay here for a couple days. And then it says this. The next slide says he prophesied to do this. King David in Psalm 16, verses 9 and 10 said this. My flesh shall rest in hope. Why? As he goes to the grave, why is he resting in hope? Because you, and here's a prophecy that he's making about his Lord Jesus. He said, but you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. In other words, when Jesus dies and goes, he's not going to stay there long enough for that body to see corruption and go back to the dust of the ground. This is when he becomes the first 
fruit of God of the resurrection. And then Peter quotes this in Acts chapter 2. That day of Pentecost when he gave the first gospel sermon. And he's telling all of the people there about this Lord Jesus who you crucified. That God has now put up on his right hand and has made him both Lord and Christ. And he quotes what their father David had wrote 800 years ago. It says, you men, you crucified him. You put him to death, but it was not possible for death to hold him. For God has raised him up, and he loosed the pains of death for us. And it was not possible for death to hold him. Praise God that it wasn't. There's our hope. It wasn't possible for that to hold him in the pit. For even David said, my flesh, in verse 26, shall rest in hope. For you will not leave his soul in Hades and you will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. And he wasn't talking about himself, Peter said, because our father David is buried. His grave is still with us today. And he wasn't talking about himself. He's talking about the Holy One of God that would come. He was a prophet, David was. And God made him then that Jesus, the first body to be according to the flesh, now transformed into what it should be. And God is going to raise up the Christ from the pit and from death to sit upon the throne of God. And he's speaking about the resurrection. And he is there now upon the right hand of God, sitting there where he's supposed to be. He's been exalted, verse 33, to the right hand of God. Verse The next verse talks about Psalm 110 again from David. The Lord said to my Lord, sit thou upon my right hand until I make the earth your footstool, until you rule over it. And that's where we're at right now. We're waiting for Operation Footstool to begin when Jesus comes back to proclaim this world for his own. And that's when it's going to happen. So let's see what happened then. With that in mind, we begin to see what's going on. He said, okay, In those three days from death, today you're going to be with me in paradise. I'm going to go and I'm going to preach to those that tried to stop me in the prison there in torments. I'm going to be with you for three days down there in Abraham's bosom. But then something's going to happen. What's going to happen, Lord? He's got the key to this stuff, doesn't he? Didn't he say that? I've got the key to death and life and to Haiti and world. He's going to open up this pit. They had to wait there. They had to wait until Jesus actually did come and fulfill things. God, even though he knew that it would happen for sure, he still couldn't put the cart before the horse. He had to wait till Jesus did come, was born that day of a virgin, and was lying in the manger in swaddling clothes. And then he grew up to be a man in favor with God and with those around. And then he went to the cross and died. And until that point, God couldn't open up the pit. Because Jesus hadn't fulfilled all of that yet. But at that point, now he can open up just this side. These two, we saw that Lazarus, or the rich man could see Lazarus. So they're going to see That Jesus opens up that pit and takes them with him to paradise. And leaves them there awaiting their day of judgment that's going to come. Let's let's see how all this goes through. Look at this, Matthew 27. So Jesus dies, he goes, he proclaims, he stays here till the third day. And then look what happens. And Jesus went to Abraham's bosom. He opened up that compartment and went into paradise. Because it says there in verse 50 that when 
the time came that Jesus cried with a loud voice and he gave up the ghost or his spirit departed from him like what we've talked about. It left his body. And behold, at that point, the veil in the temple rent from the top to the bottom and opened up the holy of holies. And then it says that there was an earth that did quake and shook the earth and it was so violent that it ripped the rocks plumb open down into the deep. And then what happened? What happened? The graves were opened. The grave, he had the key to life. And the graves were opened. And many of the bodies came out that had been, as they thought, asleep. And they wandered around and they saw him. And the centurion that was there said, Surely this is the Son of God. He opened up the keys. And he opened up the grave. After he went and preached and said, I've won the victory. And it goes like this in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 8. It says, therefore after this, at this point then, Jesus ascended on high. He went to the Father after the resurrection and he led captivity captive. Those that had been being held waiting for this day to come, he led them captive when he arose and went to the Lord. And that doesn't mean he first had to descend to the lower parts before he could ascend unto the Father and take those with him and proclaim that message to them so that he might still fill all things. He led the captivity captive from down there. The next one in Hebrews. Why were they all staying here? Hebrews 11 is the chapter of faith. All of the faithful from Adam on down to Christ's time they're listed in there. It's talking about Noah. It's talking about Abraham. It's talking about Abel. And it says this at the very end. It says, they never saw that city. They never got to see the promise, although they believed all their lives in it. Why? Because they had to wait for all of this to happen and for Christ to fulfill it. Because verse 40, God planned something better for all of us than this. And that they had to wait till they were together with us in Christ to go and rise up in there when he arose and went to the Father's right hand. So, here's, here's the thing that happens now. That's what happened before. It still happens to those who die without Christ. They still go to here awaiting that great judgment day. But what about us today after Christ has opened this and went up? 2 Corinthians chapter 5 tells us what happens now. It says this, We know that if this earthly house, this tent, this body of clay, that if it is destroyed by disease, by car wreck, by fire, it don't matter. He says, I know something. I got a promise from the Lord. If this body is destroyed, this tent of temporary dwelling is what that means that i have a building from god that's coming and it's going to be a house that's not made with hands eternal in the heavens for this we groan earnestly desiring to be what clothed with our habitation which is from heaven remember i told you to remember that word habitation because it says that the angels that sinned left their first habitation and their domain and came here they somehow that word for habitation means the clothing that you was wearing the body that you had at that time 
It says, we are desiring to be closed with our new habitation that the real me is going to dwell within. It, it is from heaven and not from this earth. One day we're going to be a total celestial being, not a part earth and part from God. One day it'll be totally from God. The spirit that was given along with a body not made with hands from heaven, from God. And he says, indeed, I am waiting to be clothed with that now so, so that we shall not be found naked. So that right now, until that day comes when the trump sounds and the Lord's comes and we all are changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, until that day comes when we are unclothed from this body, the Spirit is with the Lord Jesus waiting for the day that it can be reclothed on that time when it says mortality is clothed in immortality and this body puts on an immortal body. And at that time, we're waiting now for that to happen. He said, we, we will then not be found naked. We are in this tent right now groaning. We are burdened because we want to be unclothed from this life and further clothed. We want our mortality to be swallowed up by everlasting life. And he who has prepared this very thing for us is God the Father. And he has left us his Holy Spirit to dwell within us as a guarantee. I don't know about you. Sometimes they don't want to recognize my guarantee on an iPhone or on my car. They might want to say it was my fault. But God says, I'm making you a guarantee that one of these days you're going to be clothed with immortality if you believe in my son Jesus Christ and you walk with him. And I'm going to leave you my Holy Spirit with you as a guarantee of what I'm going to do one day. And I'm going to clothe you with immortality. And he says, so we are confident. I like that too. He says, I'm confident then knowing that while I am at home in this body, I'm absent from the Lord. We walk by faith and not by sight, but we are confident, yes, real, rather well pleased. I would rather be absent from this body and be where? So where do, so where do we go whenever we're unclothed from this body now? We're going to be present with the Lord waiting on that day when, when we're going to be clothed with that new body. Praise God. Isn't that exciting? Now we, we've put it together from the scriptures and he says, therefore, we make it our aim in this present life, in this present body that I'm in then, to be well-pleasing to him because we're all going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. All of us are going to have to stand before him for the things that was done in the flesh, whether good and bad. But guess what? If you're in Christ, that stuff gets erased, just like we can erase that board here in a minute. That'll be a race, and when we stand before him, he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. You believed in me. My blood washed you clean. Enter into everlasting life. But to those on the left who failed to do that, who would not do that in this life, he'll say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. You're going to spend your life with the one you followed because there's really only two seeds in this world. My seed... And the sin of flesh that came following the devil. So you're going to go where he's going. Those that follow me go to where I'm going. So therefore, I make it my aim while I'm present in this body to be pleasing unto him and to do what he asked me to do. So 
as our worship team comes on up and we get ready to close this out. There's still a lot that happens. I ain't even told you about all that other pit stuff and what happens whenever the trump sounds. There's a lot more that we could talk about, but this is all I think we can take in for today. But praise God, wasn't that a good thing? Didn't we find out some good stuff today? Well, as we leave today, then how about this? We make it our aim, as he said, that while we're present in this body, we're going to make it our aim to be pleasing unto him and to do what he's asked us to do. He said, because we know the terror of God if we don't. It's our duty then to persuade men. And that's what I've been doing with you here today. I'm trying to persuade you that if you are here and you are not in Christ Jesus, what you waiting for? It's, it's our duty to tell you these things so that you don't go and be on the left, that you're on the right. And this, all of this is going to happen with you. And it's a promise from God. Because, you know, why, why would you wait on something like that? There was a man who was waiting that way once, and he thought he was okay. His name was Saul of Tarsus. He was the most zealous man he thought for God, but he hadn't believed in Jesus Christ. And the Lord came and appeared to him in the book of Acts, and it says it knocked him off of his horse. The bright light of Christ blinded him and knocked him plumb off of his horse, and he couldn't see. And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm the one that you've been kicking against and that you've been refusing to obey and that you've been trying to knock down, but now I've got you down. I want you to go into town, and it's going to be told you what you must do. And as he went into town blinded, and they led him to there, and he went into the house, and he prayed for a few days. And then the Lord came to a man called Ananias and said, Go and talk to this man, King Saul, because he's a chosen vessel for me. And Ananias said, No. No, this man has been putting all of us to death. He goes, He's a chosen vessel now. He's a changed person. He's not who he used to be. So go and tell him what he must do. And it says that he went there, and he stood beside the Apostle Paul. And when he believed, it says the scales went from his eyes and he was no longer blind and he could see. And, and Ananias said, what are you waiting for? Arise, be baptized, wash away your sins, calling upon the name of the Lord. And that very hour he did that. And he went off at that point. Just what it says there, knowing this, we make it our aim to be pleasing unto God. And from that day forward, he spent his life being pleasing to God, traveling from place to place, facing hardship, and you can't believe the beatings, the shipwrecks, the things that he went through because he said, there's a much better place. There's a much better place that I'm going for, and I'm going to be pleasing in this life, so I go to that one. So with that same pleading that Ananias said to him, I say to you, why do you wait? Don't spend another day on the outside. Let's pray. And Father, we just thank you so much for your holy and divine word. Father, we, we just praise you and glorify you for knowing that you have done all of this and that Christ won the victory and that he opened up the gate and that we can now go and be with you when this body departs from this temporary tent. We are face to face with you. That's what the word actually means when it says present. It's pros, which means face to face. We get to be face to face with you in paradise until you come back and clothe us with our immortal body. Father, I pray that everyone that is here has that same hope today because they are in Christ and have obeyed this word. And Father, 
As we leave this place, may we persuade men, those that we come in contact with, so that they are not lost and they know you. And we thank you for giving us all this so that now we have hope. We have confidence, like the Apostle Paul said, that it is true. And thank you for the guarantee in your word that it is. In Jesus' name we praise you. Amen. seated. Absolutely.
you guys get done passing out communion, we need a couple more up here.
I will.